Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to New Hope Church, uh, our midweek service. Um, we're so delighted that you're here tonight. And right now uh, is the time of service we get to continue our praise and worship to Christ in the form, forms of tithes and offerings. So if the ushers could please prepare. If you're here for the first time visiting, we would ask that uh, no need give, just receive God's word for you tonight. Uh, if you guys are here visiting from another church, then please take your tithes and offerings to that home fellowship in which you call your home church. But for those of us who call New Hope Church our home church, uh, let us give now cheerfully and uh, sacrificially. So <clears throat> anyway, there was this man, okay, very smart, kind of crafty individual. He was having this conversation with God one day. So he asked God, uh, Lord, you know, how, how long is a million years to you the lord says ah it's about a minute it's about a minute then the guy asks, well how much is a million dollars to you lord the lord says that's ah, about a penny it's about a penny so the man thinking he can outwit god says lord could i please have a penny god says sure in about a minute <laughs> it's a funny joke but actually there's some truth to that because to God, time and money are not the same as what it means to us. He created time and space um, <clears throat> from the beginning. He's everlasting and infinite. And as far as money, a trillion dollars and a penny uh, has no quantitative value to him because he made all and he owns it all. There's a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 21 and Mark chapter 12 about a woman. Uh, she's poor and she's a widow. And she comes up and she drops two copper coins or two pennies into the box, into the offering box. Back then, the offering boxes were, um, containers were metallic and they were shaped like a trumpet. So people would walk through and they would drop in copper coins because no more dollar bills back then. So they would drop in copper coins and the bigger the coin the more the value and also the louder the sound. So people would walk in, clank, 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 clank. And Jesus was there observing this. He saw this take place and he saw a lot of rich people put in big coins, plenty of coins, clank, clank, clank. And then you had this little lady, okay, probably, you know, kind of probably dressed not that nice, probably a little bit dirty. She's, she's poor. She comes in and she drops in two pennies. Clink, clink. Small noise, small noise. But Jesus made it a point to, to, to tell all of us that she gave more than anybody. Why? Because it wasn't the amount that she gave. She gave. It was the heart in which she gave it. And that's the thing about God. He's interested not in the 10% tithe we give. He's interested in the 100% of our heart in which we give it with. So let's, let's bow our heads and, and thank Jesus for the offering father god we thank you so much for this offering lord and lord it's your it's our hearts that delight you when 100 percent of our heart is full of, of love and devotion to you and you alone so father god open up our hearts this evening as we uh receive your anointed and powerful word may it just make us fall deeper and deeper in love with you lord jesus we praise you in your mighty matchless name amen Okay, Amen. Pastors, thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And praying over the offering.
you know, we're in this series talking about how our thoughts can shape us. And just thinking about the beginning of the year, uh, one of the things that I, I see many people doing is their New Year's resolution. And the top ones are eating healthy, dieting, you know, exercising and things like that. So we, we literally live in a world that we want to be healthy. You know, we want to strive for excellence. We want to be better at things in whatever capacity. And I think even though we live and breathe in a society that tells us different, and sometimes, you know, life is not gracious to us, we still need to learn how to think different than the world does. And what is even more difficult is as believers, when we grow up in the world, we're, we're developing the worldly mindset without even knowing it. So by the time we come to Jesus, depending on our age, when we come to Jesus, we now have to unlearn many things as much as we have to learn many things. So it doesn't matter at what age you receive Jesus, we still have to unlearn some things. And even when you accept Christ, I think we can all agree with this, for those of us who already said yes to Jesus, even though we know Jesus Christ, we still have faults. We still do wrong things. We have wrong thinking. We even do have wrong actions. And so God gave us this thing called repentance. Repentance means to change the way you think. Repentance. It's a changing of our thoughts. And when we change our thoughts, we change our direction. When we change our direction, we're moving away from that which we're repenting from. So if I'm repenting from anger, I'm walking away from anger and I'm walking towards God. I'm not just repenting from anger and, and that's it and I stop. I'm walking towards God. Because if I just stop being angry for that moment and I don't walk towards God, I'm going to get angry again because there's nothing filling that void that was once in my heart. It's like God wants to replace the spirit of anger, the spirit of jealousy, the spirit of unforgiveness, whatever it is, with his spirit so that he can sustain us. Otherwise, that spirit is going to come back in and it's going to be far worse than the original condition that we were in. So when we are in this series, how our thoughts can shape us, we're going through Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So you can take out your notes if you want to. It's on our app or you can uh, just write down notes uh, wherever you want. But as we're going through this, this scripture, you know, it begins in this way. Paul the Apostle First of all, he's trying to encourage the church in Philippi because they're, they're beginning a new church and they're, they're learning about how to live a life that Jesus says to live and is going to, is going to change how the world operates. In other words, the world is an evil place to live in and Jesus said, that's why I need my people to be here because I need light to shine in a darkened place. But here's how you're supposed to live. So he gives us instructions on how to live. That's why we have the Bible. Without the word of God, how would, how would we know? Well, some people can say, well, I pray. Right. God also gave us the manual to go with the spirit that when we pray, they both line up. So if anyone says, no, 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 I, God said this to me, but it doesn't, it doesn't match the word of God, then we're not hearing God correctly. That's why he gave us his word. Because if it was just left up to prayer, we have so many voices in our head. So many thoughts that we have. So when Paul the Apostle says, hey, hey guys, of everything that you're learning, of everything that I'm teaching you, finally, brethren. That's why he starts off in that way. Finally, brethren. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, 
dwell on these things. He's saying these are the things that should live in your mind. These eight character qualities, he's saying you put this in your mind. And when you put this in your mind, now you're going to be able to live the life that I want you to live here on this earth. See, we're taught at an early age, as earliest as possible, right and wrong. What is correct and what is not correct. We know what to do and what not to do based upon our parents, our adults' experience. I remember my brother, he's six years older than me, so I probably was around maybe seven years old at the time that this happened. He, he, by that time, he was in intermediate school, and so he made this, uh, I don't know what it is, some type of electronic thing, and it could, it could make a noise. And it was just a basic sound of, that's all it did. And there was a red LED light or a diode. So he had it in his room, and I thought, oh, I want to try this thing. I saw him playing with it. So I plugged it in, and it's just a, like an a electrical board. I don't know what you call those things. It's a board, and you see all the wires and like the, the capacitors and all these things. You know when you open up a, remember radios back in the day? If you do, you old. So if you, if you open up a radio, you have all these transistors and all these little wires sticking out. So I thought, oh, I'm going to try this. So I plugged it in, and I tried working it. It wasn't working. But I noticed that there was a wire that was disconnected. So I figure, you know, maybe that's where it's not working. So I touched the wire, and it, and it just went in my face. And all I saw was like a flash of white light. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, what is that? And smoke just filled the room. And from that small little thing, and then my brother came running in. He goes, what was that? And I looked at him, and my face was black. And I just had, and I didn't know. He was looking at me like, what, what happened? And I said, what happened was, see, when I was, and he said, don't touch that. And so what I learned was don't play with anything that is plugged in and open wired like that. I learned from experience. Now, somebody could have told me earlier, don't touch the socket. Don't put that in the socket. And would I have listened? No. But how did I learn? Through experience, the hard way. We say it in Hawaii, hard head learn hard way. So we learn from an early age between right and wrong. But what is interesting is I was seven years old at that time, or maybe even six. Who knows? Could have been ten. All I know is I was young. But how many of us, even though we may be 40, 30, 25, 55, we still have some wrongs? We still do things that are wrong. But the question is, then who determines between right and wrong? Like, what is wrong anyway? How do we know the difference between right and wrong? Because if Paul the Apostle is saying, think about what is right. Well, in our day and age, everyone is right. Everyone has their opinion. Everyone has their view. So, okay, this is my view, so I'm right. I'm going to fight for this. Okay, we got to please these people, so you're right. Here, have your way. Oh, but, but we, we're against that. Okay, so what do you want? Okay, this is what we want. Okay, so you're right too. So wait, sorry, but these guys got to have their way too. So now everybody's fighting for their rights. And everyone is just fighting, fighting, fighting between right and wrong. And what happens is everyone, because they believe they're right, will stand their ground and fight, fight, fight for what they believe is right. That's where we are right now in our country. Our government is shut down because people on whatever side 
believe they're right. Now, whatever side people are on, whatever opinion or, or people have, that's really not the issue. It comes down to a human heart that God will always show us that it's never about the laws of the land. It's never about our parents or what other people say. It really comes back to a heart that a person has that will infect and influence other people. So if it is the human heart that's going to determine right and wrong and we're going to stand our ground, where do we get that from? Because it, we can't just conjure up right and wrong. If we do that, then everyone's opinion, how they feel, is going to be their right and wrong. But something has to be deeper than that. Right and wrong cannot come from us as human beings because the Bible even tells us the human heart is desperately sick. It's deceptive. Who can understand it? So if the human heart is not understandable, where do we go to, to determine what is right and what is wrong? There must be something to guide us when it comes to what is right. Let me just give you a, a, a definition of right. Just the word right in what the Bible says. It means virtuous, which means having or showing high moral standards. And moral means concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of human character in keeping the commands of God, rendering to each his due, and that in a judicial sense, passing judgment on others, whether expressed in words or shown by the manner of dealing with them. In other words, when someone is not right, they're punished for it because they did something wrong. Or it's also used of a person whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God. In other words, you're right when you're wholly conformed to the will of God, that there's no blemish. You're completely made whole according to the will of God, and who therefore needs no rectification, which means the action of putting something right or, or, or making a correction on something. You're rectifying something in the heart or life. So when we're right with God, that means there's there's, there's no blemish that is inside of us. But we all know that we all have blemishes. We all have flaws in us. We all have something wrong in us. And if you can't find something wrong in you, you're going to find something wrong in someone else, which makes something wrong in us. So we all have something in us. We all have flaws. And we all have something inside of us that says, I'm going to fight for my right. This is, this, I believe this. But who determines what is right and wrong? Is it our mom? Is it our dad, school teacher? Is it going to be our government, president? Who's going to determine that? My, one of my grandsons, I'm not going to say his name because he scolds me every once in a while. He says, Papa, come you talk about me. So I'm going to just, just for, you know, protect the innocent. One of my grandchildren wanted to watch a DVD when he was over at our house. Now, we already had something on TV. Heidi was watching something. Heidi is my wife. And so I said to my grandson, I said, hey, um, they call her Gigi. I said, Gigi's, Gigi's, Gigi's watching this, and you guys are going to go home, so you guys got to go. And he said, no, I want to watch this. I said, no, no, but, but you guys are going to go home. He says, but I want to watch this. I said, no, you don't, you don't hear what I'm saying. You're going to go home, so you, you're not able to watch this. And he said, but I want to watch this. And he grabs the DVD, and he's going to put it and, you know, press eject and put in the DVD. I said, I said, no. Papa said, no, you guys are going home. And he kept going. Now, if he was my child, knockout. But he's my grandchild, so I gave him chance, opportunity, I gave him grace. And he's, he keeps moving his hand, 
and I, I gave him a, a quick putty, spank his hand, just a quick pat. And you know when you, you spank a child, it doesn't hurt, but they're hurt. So he looked at me, <laughs> like one of the cries, like I was like, oh. like I wanted to say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do it. But I just, I stood my ground. I stood my ground, and I said, that's, that Papa said, no. And then he started to convulse, you know, and, and doing all of that. The mom says, hey, give him extra. <laughs> give him extra <laughs> on the way home. Give him extra. But I, I, and I told him, I said, you're not supposed to do that. I did give in. Okay, I'll give you the end of the story. 30 seconds later, I picked him up. I was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Hey, when you become a papa, it's different, okay? Parents, you let them go. You let them cry, Hanabara and everything. Let them go. But I, I, like, I had to comfort him. But I did tell him, I said, when Papa says no, that means no. You're not supposed to do that. And then I explained to him why he had that. So even at that age, we know when we're doing something wrong. We know when we're push, pushing the boundaries. We, we know when we're disobeying parents or grandparents. We know, we know when we're doing something wrong. That's why when you ask a child, what did you do? Who did this? Who spilt that? They immediately either blame or i don't know or they just they don't know what they, they don't know how to respond because they know they did something wrong right and wrong is it's kind of like we, we learn it quickly and it's it's innate in us it's there but we have to shape that that's why paul the apostle was saying this is how you're supposed to think it's in there but you have to you have to cultivate it you have to shape it it doesn't just automatically appear righteous only God is righteous. That's where right comes from. Well, then if right comes from God, where does wrong come from? Humans? Nope. You know where it came from? Satan. He wanted to be greater than God. He wanted to ascend above God. So once that became in his heart, that's what sin is. Sin is disobedience. Or that word sin actually means you missed the target. It's, a, it's an archer's term. You miss the bullseye, that's sin. So when we sin, we miss the mark. We miss who we're supposed to be. We miss our assignment. We miss the blessings of God. We miss the promises of God. We sinned. We disobeyed God, so we miss the mark. That's why he says, obey me. Obedience is greater than sacrifices because it's obedience that rewards are given through. So when he says there is right and wrong, it's not us. Right and wrong came long before us. So if right and wrong came long before us, how do we correct it? How, how do we correct something that we didn't even start? We can't even, we can't even figure out how to, how to do something correct in us. That's why we battle with it all the time to do what is right and what is wrong. And if right is not determined by us and determined by God, how do we start to think better as believers? How, do, how does right thinking fit into our lives as believers? And why is it important for us? Because we're all going to have some type of thinking. We're all going to have some type of belief system or values. Something is going to shape us. Something, something has to bring in right thinking. Otherwise, personal opinion based on personal feelings and values will, gu will guide our lives. Our, our relationships, our families, communities, the world will be guided by opinions and feelings. But bef before we can develop right thinking, we need to define what right and wrong isn't. Because right and wrong isn't about fair and unfair. That's not what right and wrong is about. 
it, it's not about equality. It's not about position. It isn't about the laws of the land. Right and wrong has to do with the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of man. It, it, it's very simple. Did you know that the most, uh, most difficult and most of the arguments that we have in relationships has to do with who thinks they are right more than the actual problem. Like, we, we start off with a problem that, hey, uh, you know, this happened, so we, we need to make sure that this is, you know, in, in this case, make sure that this is good. Oh, yeah, yeah, but make sure that, you know, it's like this. So we'll go back and forth. And then we're fighting about the problem and then after a while, we don't even think about the problem. All we're fighting about is, I'm right, you're wrong. And now we fight for our right to be right, no longer concerned about the solution. Because it's inside of us to fight for what we believe is right. So how do we develop the right kind of thinking? And, and the kind that honors God. The, the kind of thinking that lines up with his moral standard so that our thoughts, our feelings, our actions are wholly conformed to the will of God. Because we can all think about what is right by conforming to the whole will of God. And here's how. We're going to look at three ways. And this is going to require some, some deep thought and some things on our part. Because the first thing we have to remember is we have to discern the spirit of justification. The, the spirit of justification, or when you justify. Because when we, are, when we justify our actions... We had a thought before we justified our actions. And we have to remember that God is the one who justifies. God is the one who gave us justification for our sins, our actions, our behavior. He's the one that paid the price for our sins. So I, I need to discern where that spirit of justification is coming from. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 tells us, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And he's talking about the Ten Commandments, which is basically where we get our laws, the laws of the land. It's from the Ten Commandments. When God gave us his commandments, this is how we were to govern our lives. So when he says... You can try to keep right with the law, but who can? You break one, you break them all. And so what we do is we try to justify our behavior. I remember at an early age going through the supermarket and being in the wagon. And I didn't sit in the front because you're constrained. You go in the back. And in the back, they even have signs on the wagon. I don't know if they still have them now, but they had signs on the wagon. And they said, yes, this is correct. You know, you sit, in the, you sit in the chair, correct. And then you had one that, you know when you stand on the outside, anywhere on the outside, it said, this is wrong. And then to sit in the big area, that was crossed out too. So the correct way was not the way we sat in. My mom let us go in the bigger part because you can cruise in the bigger part. It's like a bigger compartment. You're there with the food. You can put a pillow. You can relax. It's, it's like luxury. So while I'm on that side and she's shopping, I can lean over and grab grapes. And I remember grabbing grapes and little candies because it was available. It wasn't wrapped up. I thought this was, you could taste it. Like this was like, like, like uh, uh, samples. 
So, like, before you buy this, you can taste it to make sure that you want this. So, at an early age, my mom let me take grapes. And I thought, wow, this store is so nice. They let me try the grapes before we buy them. So, I didn't, I didn't know that this was a right or wrong thing. Even today, I know some of you are like, wow, I still do that. I check the You're not even going to buy grapes. You just like on snack and you take the grapes. Ooh, strawberries too. But... But it is, yeah, now we're feeling guilty. Don't, don't, it's not about guilt. It's just, it's just about right and wrong. Same thing when we go to the movies. I smell like McDonald's fries in the movies. Slurpees in the movies. I'm like, they, they don't serve Slurpees. They serve Icy, but they don't serve that. I hear someone open up one can. I don't know if they have cans in here. Someone brought a cooler. I'm like, this is Hawaii. And, and then... Mochi Crunch, because we know that in the movies it's expensive and you can buy at Walmart a bigger bag for probably the same price and people are passing it down and, and everybody's sharing. It's like potluck in there, right? You get all this, this food. But it's wrong. <laughs> it's, and we're Christians. <laughs> and we sneak them in. Why do you need one bag like that to go into the movies? Like you can carry one kid inside. Some of you do probably put your baby inside. Oh no, he's still two. Got a mustache. <laughs> like, you still too. We did that with our son when he was still small. You know, when you could fly on the airplanes, they were only, you know, under two years old. He's like, he's only two. He's like, no, I'm four. No. <laughs> he's still learning two and four. But we do that because we justify our actions. And, and I, in fact, you know, I found this, I found this clip. This is kind of long. So it's about three minutes. I want you to watch this and listen to the justification that takes place on on just sampling grapes. Let's watch this. I don't know if that would work in Hawaii. I mean, if we see, if we see someone stealing, we might say something. I, I've seen people do that. I've seen people correct other people's kids. And because we live in Hawaii, like, we, we try to, you know, koku uh, each other. And we try to help each other. But could, could you hear the justification? Like, uh, and I wrote some of this down. To stop your child from crying, it's okay. It's okay. Give him a grape. He's crying. It's, it's easier to stop the kid from crying by giving him a grape than to deal with the, the people that would be frustrated because the kid is crying. Or they said, mind your own business. Like, I'm stealing this. Don't tell me I'm stealing. Mind your own business. This is my business. Or, well, everybody does it. Everybody's doing this. Or, well, our children learn from us, so they see us taking these grapes, and so I'm going to take the grapes. My child is going to take the grapes too because they saw us doing it. So they justify by saying everybody does this. Or what right does this woman have to interfere? Because that's what the news report was about. A woman corrected a woman's, another woman's child and said, hey, your child is stealing grapes. So there's this big thing of how dare you correct my child and say he's stealing. But if the supermarket, which they brought up a point, if the supermarket lets you taste them, then that's okay. It's called samples, right? You go to Costco they're samples. By the way, it's not a meal, okay, guys? Relax, okay? Don't take like 50. It's like share with everybody else. It's just a sample. But that's not stealing. Why? Because they're purposefully saying that this is okay. We're going to do this. Or at the end, she said, why don't you just flip it back on them and say they're absolutely delicious. You should try one too. Almost like saying, hey, if you don't say anything, then we'll be okay. But that's how we think. We justify. You know what my weakness is? Driving. 
speed limit, 55. Speed limit, saddle road, 60. Speed limit, school zone, 25. That's probably the one we really, really are cautious because of children. But the 55, we go 57, we go 62. We even say to ourselves, no, no, hey, five over is okay. Because when they shoot the radar, they're like, nah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not, they're not going to pull us over. I don't like waste time on just five miles an hour over. And we say these things, but the speed limit is 55. I get frustrated when someone drives 54. But listen to the context and the truth of it and what is right. The speed limit is 55. That means that's the highest you can go. <laughs> so for some of us, we live on the edge. We're like, okay, that's as far as I can go. 55, I'm that threshold, that's as far as I can go. It doesn't mean you have to go 55. It means that's the limit you can go. So if someone is driving 50 and you pass them like you slow poke, it's not that they're driving slow. It's just we just want to go faster. That's my greatest struggle. So tonight, I'm going to, on purpose, put it on cruise control at 53 miles an hour. And I can go home. And, but, you know, it's, I get frustrated when other drivers drive insane. Let's go to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And this is a good one because it allows us to kind of balance things out. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, for those, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear? Of the one in authority, then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. It's like, oh, no, taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And, the, and, and by the way, when this was written, they were under the Roman oppression. So the governing authorities over them weren't godly authorities. So how do, you, how do you do what is right and, and you, you, have, you have governing authorities, which the Bible says God put there, but they're not doing God's will? Well, now they're accountable to God, not you. Because if they are, they, are, they are in a position of doing what is supposed to be right and they're doing wrong, that's not on you. That's on them. So how do you, like what if the government tells you to do things that cause you to disobey God? What do you do at that point? Well, then we must obey God and deal with the consequences of the law that told us to disobey God. This is where persecution comes in. Because where, where, where we want to be right with God and the law says you can't do these things, that's where persecution comes in. You know, the apostles dealt with this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27 and, uh, through 29, 
earlier, they were dealing with preaching the gospel, and the authorities said, hey, you guys can't talk about Jesus anymore. But they felt, well, God is asking us to go into all the world and reach people for him, so we're going to do this. Well, they bring them in, and the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They're talking about uh, crucifying Jesus Christ. So this is after Jesus had died and rose from the grave. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And so what happened to them? They were, they were flogged and then released. They still were punished, but then they were released. But they still kept speaking about Jesus Christ because that's what God commanded them to do. That's why we still have church today, because of the apostles. By the way, you might be thinking, I thought Peter was a disciple. Let me just clear something. A disciple is a learner, and an apostle is someone who's sent. So every apostle is a disciple, but not every disciple became an apostle. So an apostle is someone who's sent. They're going to be sent out to, like Paul, the apostle, he was sent out to plant churches. He was sent out to proclaim the gospel. And every disciple should, but not every disciple does. So when you hear a disciple and an apostle, sometimes you can get confused. A disciple is a learner. An apostle is someone who's sent out. Every apostle is a disciple, but not every disciple becomes an apostle. Okay, just wanted to make that clear. So whenever God says, here's, here's what I'm asking you to do, beware of justifying your behavior. He's saying your actions are going to prove what's in the heart. It all starts with our thinking, and then it starts with the small things. Then it results into bigger things, and then we live it out. We compromise our values and then pass them on to others. Or even worse, we pass them on to our children and our grandchildren, and we justify. So we got to discern that spirit. When justification comes in, like with me driving, I got to discern that because it's not about driving. It's about compromising a value that God gave to me. The driving over the speed limit is a symptom of what is happening on the inside. So when we justify our actions, it's not about that. There's something else that's here that probably started here. That's why we need to do this. Here's the second thing. We've got to tighten our mind. We've got to tighten up our mind. In other words, sometimes our minds are so loose that we let everything in. And once we let things into our mind, it slowly drips into our heart because it's so loose. We just let whatever it is into our minds, and we think church is going to solve it. Reading the Bible is going to solve it. No, no, no. We've got to do something about it too. Because if we're only letting junk in, guess what's going to come out? Yeah, junk. So we got to guard this. But we, we, we're created to quickly think and see and hear. So how do we guard this? Well, what's, what's just as valuable as guarding what comes in because we have to do our part. We may have to eliminate some things. I had to do that. I had to eliminate tons of things so that it doesn't get into my mind. I can't stop other people from swearing, but I can stop me from doing that. I can't stop other people from watching whatever movies they want to, but I can do that. I only can take care of what I can. And if I'm going to be around people who are, you know, swearing and cussing, then I might want to rethink that. Or if I'm trying to reach out to people and they're, you know, in that type of uh, season of their life, maybe they don't know Jesus yet, maybe they're trying, then in that setting, my love for them has to trump their behavior lest I become someone who points fingers and faults at other people. So that's why we got to tighten up our mind because we can't be responsible for everyone else. 
We, we're to love other people, not point fingers at them. So when I tighten up my mind, it, it becomes so tight that I don't let things come in. The moment it comes in, got to get it out. And the reason why we have to tighten up our mind is so that it doesn't deposit into our heart. As Proverbs 4.23 tells us, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. That's what's going to happen. You, you, you guard your heart like you guard your candy, the remote control. Whatever you guard, your purse, whatever, whatever it is, you, you guard that. You guard your heart like how you guard your cell phone. You put a password on it. Or you, you have a face, you know, retina scan, whatever it is. You use it to guard whatever it is on your phone. You, you, you guard it because it's valuable to you. Well, our heart is the most valuable thing that we can have. So we guard that because it, it determines the course of our life. It's going to determine the direction of our life. And you can, you can quickly toss toxic thinking out of your mind or you can let it linger. You can, you can let it linger, but the more the toxins linger, the more it drips into your heart. And the more the toxins drip into your heart, the more tox toxicity your heart will have. And then it's going to come out sooner or later. It's going to happen. It's going to come out. We can't stop everything, but we can do our part. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 11, verse 34, that the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. In other words, our perspective is influenced by what we allow into our mind. We're influenced. The direction of our life is determined by how long it stays there because it will slowly make its way to our heart. That's why scripture memory is very, very critical. To memorize scripture, this scripture, uh, Philippians 4.8, put that to memory. Just repeat it over and over. Write it down. Use a uh, an app if you have to. Scripture memory, or maybe every day, just write it down. This scripture, Philippians 4, 8, that's what I've been doing. I just keep writing it down every day. Just write it down, write it down, write it down. And then you put it to memory, you put it to heart. That way, you, we tighten our mind. And the reason why we let more scripture in, more godly things in, is because we only have so many, we, we only have so much capacity in our mind. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a computer uh, uh, the computer chip that can only hold so much memory. That's kind of how our brains are. Now, our brains are unbelievable, but if the more scripture you, you, you memorize and the more of God you put in there, there's no room for all the other stuff that shouldn't be there. Like, why, why put things in our minds that is only going to corrupt our heart? Like, don't let it in. Just, if, if something comes in and it's like, ooh, that's, that's kind of a, that's a tough one. Get it out as quick as possible. Just change the way you think. Tighten up your mind. Memorize scripture. Otherwise, if we have loose mind, we'll have loose thinking, we'll have loose thoughts, we'll have loose words. Foul language will come out. Slander, throwing uh, uh, people under the bus, cutting people down, demeaning others. It'll just come out. It'll happen. It'll just flow out. It's because we're not tightening up our mind. And then the last thing, think how Jesus thinks just think how jesus thinks now in order to think how jesus thinks we're going to have to get into the word of god because we can't just say oh, okay i'm going to think how jesus thinks i'm going to be nice to people jesus wasn't always nice to people but he was kind but when jesus would correct people he always did it out of love 
Even the Pharisees, even when he corrected the religious people, even when he said to them, you, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're, 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 you're clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. He was saying that out of love. He was saying, guys, turn that around. Do it differently. Then the blessings will come. He was caring for them. He wasn't cutting them down. He was caring for them. And so when we think like how Jesus thinks, it's now learning who he is and how he thinks. That's why we get into the word of God. That's why we do devotions. That's why we memorize scripture. That's why we worship because we want to have the spirit of God in us so that we can think like how Jesus thinks. Heidi and I were attending a funeral some time ago and we've been together for 33 years. So we would think that, okay, we know how each other thinks. So we're in the, I think it was here and it was the, the ending of the funeral. So you know how you greet the family? So Heidi and I were in the back, and I said, I said um, oh, are we going to leave soon? She goes, yeah, I'm going to stand in line real quick. I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll meet you there. She said, okay. So I'm walking, and I go into our fellowship hall because the line was in there for the food. So I'm waiting in there, and I'm looking for Heidi. I'm thinking, where is Heidi? And I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait. I'm waiting for a long time, and I'm watching the line. Everybody going by, I'm like, and I'm looking in the fellowship hall. Okay, I don't see her, I don't hear her, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And then finally I see her come through the doors. I said, where were you? She goes, I was in line. I said, no, I was watching every single person go by. She goes, you were in the food line? I said, yeah. She goes, no, I was in the family line. I was greeting the family. I said, you didn't say family. She goes, I said I was in the line. I said, no, 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 but you said you're going to be in the line. I thought you were in the food line all this time. She goes, why would I be in the food line? I said, because we already greeted the family. But can you see the right thinking and the wrong thinking? My thinking was food. Her thinking was the family. I already greeted the family. So I was right in my mind. She was right in her mind. But both of us didn't know what each other were thinking. So in order for us to know what we're thinking... We have to make sure we communicate. That's what prayer is. That's why we get into the word of God. God wants to communicate with us because how often we justify, we have wrong thoughts, wrong thinking because our minds are loose. And then we find ourselves on the other side and God says, whoa, how far have you come? Well, I thought this was it. No, 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 no. And now we got to make corrections. Why? Because we weren't thinking what Jesus would have thought. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible gives us certain gifts. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, that a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Now, it's going to give us three ways to think. It says, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice or wisdom. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. So it's knowledge. Then the same Spirit gives great faith to another. So there's faith. So there's no wisdom, knowledge, and faith. That's, that's how Jesus, that's, that's how he thinks. He uses wisdom, knowledge, and that faith. And if you read the rest of that, those verses, it'll, it'll show you how Je what Jesus does and what he says. But when, when we are able to have wisdom, knowledge, and faith, faith is the act of interpreting dreams and always giving 
as the Bible, or the, the meaning of it, the wisest advice, the intelligence behind what you're saying, discovering the meaning of something mysterious or a vision or a skill in managing affairs, the knowledge and practice of the requisites for godly and upright living or supreme intelligence such as belongs to God. In other words, wisdom is not ours. We cannot get wisdom from ourselves. We get wisdom from God. It's from above. It's from him. That's why we ask, as the book of James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God, and he'll give to everyone generously. But when he gives to you, when he gives you wisdom, don't doubt. Otherwise, you'll be tossed to and fro like the waves and the wind of the sea. Knowledge means to know what is true. You just have this knowledge. Faith, I heard someone say it like this, faith is believing in advance what will only be understood in reverse. Faith is believing in advance what, what, would, what can only be understood in reverse. That you're believing, as, as Hebrews 11 tells us, that faith is, faith is a substance of what you believe will come to pass. There's, there's something there. It's our faith in him. So when we want to think like how Jesus thinks, we need the wisdom, we need the, the, the knowledge, and we need the faith. Even, even when Jesus was, remember when the woman was about to be stoned to death because she was caught in adultery? And Jesus was there, and, and the, the leaders brought this woman to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, the law says she needs to be put to death. What do you say? But they said that to trap him. And it's found in the book of John chapter 8. And Jesus sat down, wrote in the dirt, in the sand, and just stayed there. And then he stood up and he says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Here's, here's what Jesus did that was right. He, he did recognize the law, but he loved all of them. He loved all of them and fulfilled the law by dying for all of them. In other words, when he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone, when they dropped their stones, what they were agreeing to and admitting is they're sinners. And they all left. And that's when Jesus said to her, where are your condemners? She said, there is no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. But then he did bring in righteousness. He said, now go and sin no more. That's how Jesus thinks. Like he's able to fulfill the law, he's able to love everyone, and he's able to sacrifice himself for even sinners. So I think for us, when the Bible tells us whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, dwell on these things, we can only think what is right when we're able to think like Jesus. Be careful that we don't justify our actions or just watch that spirit or discern that and then allow him to do the greater things in us that we cannot do on our own. We're going to pray right now. You can close your Bibles and, and your notes. And even tonight, it's, I think tonight we're able to just tighten up our mind for a little bit. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight as we learn more about you and, and thinking what is right, that's, a, that's a, a big one because we live in a world right now that everyone fights for what they believe is right. We read the newspaper, a, a post on something, or the internet, or we hear on the news, or whatever takes place. Even in our own families, 
our marriages, our relationships, there's always the right and wrong. Who's right? Who, who, can, who can give the better argument? Who can influence people? But we don't want to go by what the world says or by what we feel. We want to go by what your word says, that whatever is right, we're going to dwell on these things. So help us, Lord, as we, as we do our very best to discern that, that spirit that causes us to justify our actions, that we would tighten up our mind so that you're in it, that you're always on our mind, and that we would think like you. And in order to do that, we have to develop our relationship with you. And it takes a lifetime to develop this relationship, but our hearts are open and we want to do our very best because the end result is not only you're glorified, but we receive the rewards in our marriages, in our families, our community, our world, the workplace. We don't want to think what is right so that we can condemn others. That's, that's not what you did with the woman. That's not why you, you said to her, go sin no more. It's you, you loved her and you loved them all, even those who brought her to you. So we want to be people who are able to think what is right, to dwell on these things and love everyone because we all carry stones. Every single one of us, Lord. But we want to leave those stones at your feet because we're thankful that you died for us even though we were sinners. That's how much you love us. So thank you for showing us how we can think because that's going to shape our life. We trust in you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all sit together. Amen.